Awesome. What's up? We're doing a podcast. We're, we're doing a podcast. We're like, finally man. here. It's but happening. It's been a long time coming. I also just found out that thanks to the lovely services of Anchor.fm and their partnership with Spotify, we can use up to 30 seconds of songs from Spotify. So the listeners of the Smooth Outline podcast will be able to enjoy a lovely musical outro. Ooh. Right now I'm thinking uh, Big Jet Plane by Primal Scream off of their 94 album Give Out But Don't Give Up from Creation Records. I would have an opinion, but I don't know that song. It's like, honestly, it's country. It's like blue, like like southern rock, like bluesy rock. Um, but it's cool because Primal Scream is a bunch of like, like arty dudes from Glasgow. And they just like went to, I think they went to Memphis and they just lost their minds and made a country album. I think you played this for me before and I actually really didn't like it at all. I probably played you um, I'm Gonna Cry Myself Blind, which is the best song off that album. It's a possibility. Have you ever heard of Westlife? I've not, no. Westlife is an Irish country folk band. Um, mm. I learned about it from Love Island. That, that's a good place to learn about music. Not even being sarcastic. They have pretty good music on that show. Yeah, they, they usually have a pretty solid soundtrack. Westlife is Greg O'Shea, season five winner's favorite band. Hmm. That's interesting. It makes sense for a guy named Greg O'Shea. Yeah, right? Greg O'Shea is the guy who won with Amber. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. yeah Amber is the winner. Greg is the attache. Yeah, Greg got lucky. He's the Pippin. Yep. Um, in any case, welcome to the Smooth Outline Podcast. I'm Andrew Loomis. I'm Gabe Pascal. And we are the hosts. And it's really impressive because I didn't even tell him that we were going to do that kind of segment. We just picked up and we did it. And we're going to pat ourselves on the back for doing that incredibly simple act of coordination. Extremely sensual back patting, auto back patting going on right now. Yep. Um, I'm sipping on a nice afternoon coffee. Uh, got a nice Colombian roast. Gabe, what, are you, what, what do you have on deck? I'm sipping on a tall glass of dehydration. Mm. Tasty. Um, I'm not far off, honestly. I shouldn't be drinking coffee when I have to work out in like an hour or two. And yet here I am. In any case, uh, welcome to the Smooth Outline Podcast. We talk about uh, art, music, fashion, wellness, and pretty much anything else we want to talk about. Um, our opinions aren't revolutionary, but they are smart. And we're basically just making this as an outlet to sound smart all the time. Well, we'll sound something. We'll sound something. Yeah, you heard it here first. We'll sound something. Something. Some. <laughs> Some. Uh, in any case, uh, 
we we have the the four pillars of the podcast which i i just said if you were paying attention um gabe you have two of them for this week which ones do you have this week my pillars are music and fashion well there's no better place to start than in the fundamental human expression that of the voice sound and as some call it the fifth dimension I just made that up. Never heard that before. Yeah, I just made it up. It's not real. But, you know, here we are. Sounding smart. Sounding something. Um, Anyway, please take it away. What do you have to talk about this week? So this week, um, I'm going to talk about Brooklyn drill music when talking about music. Um, So here's the deal. Andrew and I, we both went abroad uh, we did a semester abroad in Europe. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> the, the, from basically like August to December of 2019. And I definitely had this experience where I became quite disconnected to American culture and American music while I was there. And both of us who I think we would consider ourselves to be hip hop heads, uh, before were not when we returned. And I kind of had the experience where I was feeling like hip-hop wasn't too exciting once I came back. I was into different things and kind of tired of the same old sounds that have been recycled since about 2016. Um, but what Brooklyn Drill has done for me is kind of merged a gap between what's happening in hip-hop in Europe and the United States and given a revolutionary sound to what I think is big and pushing hip-hop forward right now. That's really interesting. And it's interesting that you say um, rap wasn't really exciting because that's kind of, that that was, uh, sums it up pretty well. I mean, I we both came up in high school at such like an interesting and important time for rap music when i mean you had like early travis scott stuff young thug was coming up ray stremmerd were on top of the charts you had all this like new guard i mean those were a very arbitrary three people to say but <laughs> um I don't, I don't think ray stremmerd is that uh that like long-term important but in any case um a lot of new sounds coming out. Playboy Cardi. Uh, you have guys like Young Bands and stuff. Um, the whole SoundCloud rap thing. And that's that's kind of like our breeding ground for rap music. And then the past few years, it's just been the same thing over and over again. Like Travis Scott went from making this like super dark, gothic, like almost avant-garde take on trap music. And then he like, did a Fortnite concert, you know? Yeah. It's gone so mainstream. Yeah, it's um it's gone from the bedroom to the living room, I think is one way you could describe it. Where what really we saw happen was all these guys who were without a doubt very skilled but not in the technical or lyrical sense that 
had previously been kind of a, a gate that was kept in deciding who could be big in hip hop or not, got to SoundCloud and were able to thrive in a new sound. Um, but once everyone started doing it, it really became pretty uniform, not exciting anymore. Like Andrew said, um, but I think for Brooklyn Drill, one thing that's pretty special is that we're kind of returning to this lyricism that is really driving this new age of hip hop where you have these young people with really pretty outstanding lyrical skill. Um, guys like Chef G or 22Gs, um, all coming out of New York, which is also pretty special. You have this revival of New York being like the epicenter of hip hop where it kind of moved south in the last era that we were talking about. Yeah, Atlanta was the hotbed for the past few years. I mean, it's just like you could go top to bottom from like Future, Thug, Rich the Kid, uh, Migos. It was just like the, the roster in Atlanta was unbelievably deep. Even like Childish Gambino. I mean, Atlanta was everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everything was coming out of Atlanta, um, which... To be fair, it was probably a long time coming for that city, which has really historically had such amazing acts like Outkast and Gucci Mane. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And it, it, it's also like, it's interesting that um, Brooklyn Drill is having this moment. And I don't know how much of it came before and how much of it has come after, but Pop Smoke's death, you know? Yeah. I mean, he was front and center in that. Yeah, you can't talk about Brooklyn Drill without talking about Pop Smoke. Pop Smoke really put it up and made it come to the spotlight, like the mainstream. Um, because Pop Smoke was kind of a merger of sound and lyricism, where basically the area that we were talking about before was so heavily focused on sound over lyricism, Pop Smoke has found a way to put both in. Uh, this guy has tremendous technical ability with his cadence, um, his lyrics, but also that deep growly voice is that's really unique and pretty particular, especially considering he's only 20 years old. Um, yeah, this is this is something that I talked to my dad about actually recently. Because my dad's a huge music head; he's a like lifelong musician, and um, he's really interested by rap music, even though he doesn't listen to it a lot. But he uh, he came up on like post punk, new wave, all that stuff, um, just because that's what was coming out around the time when he was growing up. Even though he like liked the Beatles and stuff, but I. This is a comparison that's been made plenty of times, but the whole, like, for want of a better term, SoundCloud rap thing was kind of the punk moment of rap where, you know, it was deconstructed. It was focusing on energy and sound, and it didn't really matter the 
technical pedigree of the musicians. It was it was more of a feeling and far more indescribable. So you could say like Playboy Cardi is like the sex pistols of rap music or something. But then when you deconstruct something with punk, it's going to come back around and you're going to get post-punk and new wave. And post-punk would be that like more avant-garde centered, um, still deconstructed, but uh, taking it in like novel directions influenced by the more deeper, like heady stuff. So that would be something like Young Lean or JPEG Mafia. Um, and then you have New Wave, which would be taking the deconstruction and then marrying it back into pop music. And that would be something like Pop Smoke or like, um, I'm blanking on some other names right now. A lot of the other guys that are out, uh, even like Lil Baby um, or Dub Baby, you know, a lot of those guys are taking the elements that came out of this deconstructed punk moment and then just making really great catchy songs with some pretty solid writing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is very, very interesting to track how things have evolved and changed. And you know what? We said that this was going to be a show where we put out some hot takes, and I have one here. I don't think that this would have been possible, this evolution of Brooklyn Drill, without Drake. Okay. All right, now. <laughs> okay i mean it's you can there it's like kevin bacon like you can trace everything to drake but can we true. really say that he's responsible for enabling this yes and here's why okay so what we know about drake biggest hip-hop act in the world by far um Drake does something, it could be complete horseshit, will still sell a million records. Um, Drake is Canadian, which is an extremely important fact in my argument here. So what Drake's nationality has to do with this is the way Drill developed. Drill started in Chicago. Um, became popular through guys like L.A. Capone and Chief Keef. Um, and then what we have now is it got shipped across the pond to London, kind of like house music did. Midwest to London connection. And drill music really became something that was dominated in the U.K. with guys like... Um, Heady One or Dig That, stuff like that. Um, and here's where Drake comes in. It was once said by Drake himself that Toronto and London are closely connected because they don't talk the same way, but they use all the same words, mm. which is absolutely true all their slang is like pretty much exactly the same. Of course, there's variations, but the basis, the basics are there. It's so really interesting. Yeah. So what Drake does is be this like figurative bridge between England and North America that allows for a cultural exchange 
And then you have drill beats flooding into America. And where they're landing is in Brooklyn. Uh, and then you have all these guys, Pop Smoke, Chef G, 22Gs, uh, Fivio Foreign. They're picking up these insane beats made by UK producers and just absolutely slaying them, destroying them, tearing them up. These records are like tearing the paint off the walls in clubs. Um, and Drake is someone who helped facilitate that and uh, bring it more into the national spotlight. I'm assuming you didn't listen to the new Drake album. I know I didn't listen to the new Drake album. I listened to the one song that everyone said was bad. Um, the the one with the Cardi verse on it that sounded horrible. I and didn't I, even listen to it. <laughs> I listened to that because I just wanted to hear if he was really bad. And it, it was, in fact, really bad. I didn't listen to any other song. <laughs> well, I would argue that there is one pretty outstanding song on that album, and it's called Demons. Um, it's featuring, uh, Fivio Foreign and maybe Sleepy Hollow. I have to look that up. Anyway, that is a, it's featuring Fivio Foreign and Sosa Geek. Okay. Anyway, it's a song with UK production and really carried by, Brooklyn rappers. Drake is there too. <laughs> but Drake on any song that he features on. He's there too. Yeah. Um, but you know, he actually does really do a good job as a balance between these two locales. And I think it really speaks to his influence in all of this. Um, and I think it also shows him like finally doing something useful, which I think maybe he hasn't done in a little while. <laughs> That's yeah. I like that. That's really interesting. I mean, Cause it, obviously everybody remembers the like man's better not be in Mark. He went shut down. Eh? Trust <laughs> me, daddy. Like everybody knows that, but, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you know, I always thought that it was more just like Drake is kissing up to London. Cause he, wants to get some juice, you know? Um, and, you know, it's always complicated with Drake because you never know to what extent he's just, I don't want to say vulturing, but, you know, giving a little juice in exchange for a lot of taste-making clout, you know? And when yeah. he's actually trying to put on for people. Um, what do I know? I'm some random guy. I have no connection to these people. But that's an interesting take that you gave. I... I think I support it. Why, thank you. Um, that's pretty good. You want, you, want to, you want to move on to the next pillar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on. So in this same vein, obviously, we had the very tragic loss of Pop Smoke, which is something I think is one of the greatest robberies of young talent that we've had in hip-hop. Um, but he, there will be the release of his posthumous album pretty soon. The cover art, which was done by Virgil Abloh originally, and I'm not going to lie, it was pretty terrible. <laughs> it was so it was really, bad. It was really lazy. It was so, yeah. oh my God. It's like, I, I, I don't even use Photoshop. I mess around in Microsoft Paint, 
and I could have done better on Microsoft Paint. Exactly. That I took saw, him five minutes. I saw a video on Twitter of a guy who redid the album cover in 41 seconds. Oh, my God. Which is really terrible. Um, so few elements. Like, first picture of Pop Smoke that comes up when you Google him. Yeah. It's uh, like... And the whole thing with Virgil is, like, I love... Um, I love looking at Virgil's work because, like, I don't always like it, but I always think that there's, like, something interesting in each collection, you know? I think he has good ideas, but a lot of the time, and it, he just he just does the bare minimum effort on so many things. Yeah. Yeah, he, he kind of does sometimes. Um, and it can be very hard to figure out because... Um, I would call Virgil Abloh kind of an ivory tower hip-hop figure, in a way. Mm. Expand. By an art association. So, he's obviously a very accomplished man. He has got Off-White, which is a tremendously successful company. Creative director for Louis Vuitton. Absolutely killing his shows there with Louis. Um, But I think he also has gotten to the point um, where he kind of gets a pass for doing some stuff that doesn't always make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of, yeah. Especially with like, you know, Louis Vuitton, it's, I think he's done a pretty good job you know, like, I don't think it's been, like, 10 out of 10 amazing, but I think, like, a lot of his clothes have been, like, really damn good. And his runway looks have been really damn good. And, you know, you can, like, have your personal opinions about it, but a lot of people just try and tear him down just because he's, like, hip-hop affiliated and um, and because it's so trite to, like, Virgil Abloh at this point that people just think that everything he does is stupid and basic when he's actually pretty good. But... In the past few years, especially with Off White, it's just like holy shit! It, it's like an algorithm is making the clothes. Yeah, yeah, he's got that that screen printed logo, which is doing him well. But to me, it's kind of turning into the next box logo. Yeah, um, it's something that is going out quickly, um, and. Pretty soon, I'm not sure how much it will be worth, um, especially considering his high-profile failures as of late. One, obviously, being the pop smoke thing. The other, that measly $50 donation to some Miami fund that was supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. That was yeah. pretty shameful. That was that was really bad. It's it's one thing to be like putting donations online because you can have a whole debate in that how much of it is virtue signaling and how much of it is trying to encourage other people to donate. But when you're that on that big of a platform, I think it's pretty it's pretty like commonly acceptable to say like you either donate a lot of money And if you tell people that you donated, you should show that you donated a lot of money or you just don't tell people and do it behind the scenes. Yeah, there's there's I think there's always something to be said for humility 
Um, and from a PR point of view, like, like you said, how you donate gets tricky. Um, but he definitely handled it the wrong way on this one. Um, Honestly, and, I don't think any of this would have been as bad if they weren't back to back. You know? Yeah, that's that's really fair. <laughs> it's it, like the donation thing, like that seems more to me like a gaffe than anything. You know, I don't think he was like trying to be a cheapskate. I just think he didn't think it through. And he did after the facts, like show that he donated a lot more money. Um I don't remember if he donated it after it because he was embarrassed or if he just hadn't disclosed the full amount. But the the donation thing seemed like a gaffe. The, the pop smoke thing is a lot more unforgivable because that's like this dude trusted you with the creative direction on his album design before he was murdered and you're going to turn this in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, which is... And pop smoke means so much to so many people he's really this now larger than life image of stolen youth and stolen potential yeah um, it's really yeah. awful to to turn around on that and the the cover i can't state this enough is so bad like it's bad conceptually it's bad in execution it it doesn't like i wouldn't buy an album that had that cover you know yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's like Pop Smoke deserves more. Oh, yeah. Than to be remembered that way. Uh, this has the potential to be a really huge album, and you really want everything to go right to honor this guy. Honestly, I, I think hot take. All right. I think that it would be best to do a black album black cover that's it maybe text at the bottom with the album name but i think it i think this especially in the wake of that cover i don't think they can do it now because he said he's going to redesign it so if he redesigned it and came back with a black screen it would be um that would that would be awful because he said he was going to redo it but if they had immediately said just kidding we're going to do a black album that would be really cool because one a black album is like a really cool thing to have in an artist's discography. And I think it would be poignant to have that as his last recording. And two, the black squares on social media after George Floyd. Yeah, um, I think that would echo that in, in, a, in a pretty good way. Um, do I think that he deserves a fully designed album cover? Of course. But I think a, a black album would actually, I think it might be more impactful than a well-designed cover. And you know, there's always like the possibility of releasing a deluxe version that could have different cover art. True, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get Virgil on the phone actually. I'm gonna talk to him about that. Good idea, good yeah. idea. Yeah. Close personal friend, Virgil Abloh. Yes, yeah, my close personal friend. Um, Verge, as I call him. <laughs> <laughs> Big Verge, as he's known by by the bros. Um, yeah, that's that's good though. I like that. Um, do you have anything more you want to delve into on that? Um, you know, I actually do have one more point, kind of supporting what you said about 
your second reason why the black cover would be really poignant. I don't know if you've ever seen these videos, but I know in New York City, during protests, they were like blasting Dior. Oh, yeah. Dior was all over. It was weird. I didn't think it would be that one, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, on one hand, it really is this song all about like materialism and like has not really a whole lot to do with the movement. But with that being said, I think it really is a testament to who Pop Smoke is to the people. Yeah, it's true, especially because the presence the NYPD had in his life and in in the months before his death. Yeah. The NYPD was on him constantly, wouldn't let him breathe. I forgive the double entendre there. Um, but it's they they were shutting down his shows. They were following him. They were trying to get him to snitch on people near him. Um, yeah, that is kind of emblematic of what I'm sure a lot of New Yorkers have to deal with, black New Yorkers have to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, Pop Smoke never really got to get to the point where he was too big to still be connected to the people, um, which I think is special. Um, but yeah. more over, I think the way that Brooklyn Drill is set up he never would have become too disconnected from the people. Sure, he could have become the next huge thing in hip-hop and gotten all the money in the world, but something tells me that he would have stuck around and really been something special for Brooklyn. Yeah, it's that, that makes me think of um, the lines from uh, Black by Dave. Um, mm you know, having to turn his back on the place where he came from because yes. he's hating it, you know? Um, yes. How he's had to leave his neighborhood because of, you know, jealousy, infighting, and his own safety. Um, that's, yeah, it's really interesting how that dynamic would have gone on. And the whole sellout concept is really easy to say from an armchair, you know, but you don't know the, like, reality of, he had to carry guns with him all the time, not because he wanted to intimidate people, but because he was literally at risk of being murdered all the time. Like it was, it was literally, it was the one reason that you should actually have guns is if you have people trying to kill you. you yeah. Um, and eventually it happened. Yeah. Um, so rest in power, pop smoke. Rest in power, pop smoke. All right, let's, um, you want to move on to the next topic? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so um, we've got, my two topics are wellness, fitness, and um, art, art and design. So I have a, an artist today who I'd like to bring in dialogue with another artist. And he caught my eye out on Instagram, I believe, uh, his name is Ment Nelson. I think it's short for Clemente Nelson, but don't quote me on that. Either way, he's from rural South Carolina, and he works mostly in photography and watercolors. And he, uh, he's, he has a lot of really interesting um, small vignettes of rural life in the South and just, like, people in the parking lot of, like, a Walmart or something, you know, just walking along, maybe on like a, 
a, a moped or something. Um, just the, the interesting microcosms and mundane realities of life and kind of bringing a bit of glory and um, care and tenderness to that mundanity. Um, and a lot of that reminded me of the pop art juggernaut Ed Ruska from the USA. Um, he's, you know, one of the most identifiable pop artists and um, his work, you know, he was centered on Hollywood. He's the guy who literally made the Hollywood sign, but his work centered on uh, daily life and little microcosms, but in the big city. And it was interesting when he brought his Midwestern sensibilities into Hollywood, into a place like that, and applied that pop art veneer to it, to where it became an art object or a design object and kind of this symbol of colored, color blasted, colorized modernity, um, such as, for example, in like uh, Double Standard, the, the, one of his works about a gas station. Mm -hmm. um which is like literally standard oil but you know he put two standard signs on top of each other and made a a cartoon gas station essentially called it double standard and i i don't have the numbers in front of me but i would bet money that it it sold for like tens of millions of dollars um something crazy and i matt nelson also has a a uh pop veneer to his work at some point he's made a lot of portraits of famous people um that sell on his web store for like a grand a few hundred bucks um for portraits of like dave Chappelle, obama elon musk and they're interesting they're they're uh they have great framing use of color proportion um, and he uses the negative space on the canvas really effectively. But one of his major works, probably his most well-known, is the work Kissing Up, which is a picture from that he painted inspired by Kanye's meeting with Trump in the White House with a red lipstick mark on a pouting Trump's face and Kanye with lipstick on, smiling. And he priced that at a million dollars. And it was more of a revolutionary political statement than, you know, a realistic expectation of market value. But it's really interesting that he did that with that portrait and um, priced it as such. And I think it's, I think what my thesis here, my, my hot take, I suppose, what I've been rambling on about was that I would say that Ment Nelson represents a social media successor to Ed Ruska. I think that in the social media age of um, snapshots, vignettes, uh, the use of visual culture as a means to document, to glorify, to instill meaning, um, I think he uses that in the same way that Ed Ruska used the shiny veneer of pop art to deify and um instill a sense of dignity of 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 true fine dignity to rather mundane things um and i 
my girlfriend Lillian just got me a print from Ment Nelson. And I think that as time goes on and assuming that his avoir continues to evolve and, and grow in the way that it has, I think he's going to end up being remembered as a really prominent artist from this generation because his work has such fantastic everyman appeal, you know? I absolutely agree with that. And I really like what you said about him being the social media successor of Ed Ruscha. Um, looking at his website, it really reads out a lot like an Instagram feed. Yeah. Um, his work seems to be very consistent in color scheme. Um, and he really does do a, a very impressive job capturing everyday moments um, in a way that I haven't really seen a lot in artists these days. Um, he has this technique that is very apparent in looking at his work where he leaves like you said, a little bit of negative space around the figures that he's painting, which brings a subtle humanity to it um, in a way that I think we all would kind of like to project through our social media, but in that kind of superficial and not to out their way no one wants to bear their soul but everyone does want to be seen and Ment Nelson certainly does a good job of making every every figure that he paints seen yeah I think I think you summed it up really well it was perceptive analysis that's what we like to call intellectual discourse we do that sometimes. Yeah, you know, sometimes I might, you know, I might mess around, do a little intellectual discourse, you know, have a little intellect as a treat. Just a little scraps. Yep, just a little crumb, a little crumb of intellect as a treat. Um, we don't want to become obese intellectuals. With oh our no, never. Massive, and, overweight brains. And that brings us into our fourth and final pillar: wellness and fitness. Um, I have a very simple message for wellness and fitness today. You know, it's nothing, it's nothing revolutionary. I don't have anything cool to, for anyone to check out. I have a mandate and that mandate is put ginger on your food and go outside and run sprints. It's, it's very simple. And these things will do way more than you think. You put ginger on your food, right? All right. Any kind of ginger you can. You can ground ginger, root ginger, stem ginger. There are all kinds of ways you can chop it, fry it, cut it, ground it, you know, anything. It's such a versatile plant and it tastes fantastic. If you don't like the taste of ginger, you don't like flavor. It has one of the like best flavors of any ingredient ever because it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit tang, like a little bit pungent, you know, it's got, it's got kind of an edge to it, you know, but it's, it emerges so well with other ingredients, you know, like think about like an orange ginger cake, you know, or some, some lemon ginger tea or raspberry ginger, you know, I mean, you could literally pair with broccoli ginger. Why not? Like literally anything, it would work so well. And if you put ginger in everything, not only 
Will you have more interesting food? But it's got tons of health benefits. And I, I don't know them, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure they exist. And you can probably <laughs> look it up and you'll learn more than me. So, you know, put ginger on your food. Then after you've eaten a delicious gingery meal, you know, maybe wait like an hour and a half, two hours for it to settle. Then go outside, you know, like don't go to a, like a Globo gym and risk infecting yourself and everyone you care about. Just go outside and run sprints because like you can do like steady state cardio at like a low heart rate and just go jogging around the neighborhood or go on like a power walk or something. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a perfectly fine way, you know, do whatever you want, but you have to sprint. And I'm not going to take no for an answer here because why are you running if you don't want to go fast? Otherwise, you should just walk. You should try and go as fast as you can. Otherwise, you're kind of missing the point, bud. You know, just go outside, go on your street, warm up and then just run as fast as you can and then stop and like walk back and then run again. And it does a couple things. It burns fat. Which, again, you know, I don't know if that's true, but you can probably look it up and I'm, I'm probably not that wrong. And then you can also build like a sick bod and physique because your body's working together as a system. So you're not going to get that weird college bro bodybuilder look where everything is a little bit out of proportion because all you do is like curls and shoulder presses and benches, you know? Um, you're actually going to be working normally like the body was intended. So you're going to have a very proportionate, lift, sinewy build. You're going to have a sick core, assuming you do core exercises along with it, because you're going to actually be using it to stabilize your body and maximize energy return from your feet all the way up to your shoulders, you know? And then, you know, if you're going fast all the time, you're going to feel so much more athletic and so when you look in the mirror, you're going to be like, oh, no, I'm not some guy who like sits in a chair, you know, and like, like does curls in a chair. You'll be like, damn, I'm an athlete. And so your self image is going to improve and you're going to look better when you look at yourself because you're going to feel so athletic because you can run fast. It's a super simple thing, but it feels amazing. And when you start to like get into the technique of, you know, like learning how your foot should strike properly, learning how your legs should cycle learning to like float across the the track when you're running as opposed to like pounding into the dirt, then it, it starts to become kind of a game to get as good as you can at the act of sprinting. And you can really go really far with just sprinting. And it's, it's great. And if you have um, a ginger, a gingery meal and then sprint, I can almost guarantee your life is going to get better in some way. I would absolutely agree with that. Running is good. Ginger is good. Ginger is good for your running. Boom. That's, I mean, I, I should make a t-shirt. You should start a artisanal ginger line. Yeah. Where, where it has to be used in conjunction with running. Or I just sell ginger, but the company's entire Instagram is like vintage running content. So it becomes like a mood board for running nerds and then also encourages them to buy ginger from me. That's a great business model. It really is. And I'm not even kidding. That's, I, I think that, would, that business would do really well. I could see runners eating a lot of ginger. Just turning it into a new fad, you know, 
Yeah, they could really be. ripping people off. I mean, ginger is an anti-inflammatory. Yeah, see, Good I told you it has health effects. Yeah, it it actually will make you a better runner. Yeah, exactly. See, I'm I didn't even know what I was saying when I was saying it, and I was right. That is the pinnacle of intellectual discourse. It's called practical learning. He did it and observed the effects. Boom. I had a ton of ginger on my eggs and potatoes that I ate today for lunch. I also had some paprika. It was really good. That's a free color combo for y'all. Free free juice. Go go and eat and enjoy. Um, I so I looked up some uh, health benefits of ginger. Okay. Pretty pretty exciting stuff here. All right, let's go. Obviously, hey. we've said the anti-inflammatory thing. Um. It's good for nausea. We all know that. If you've ever had some ginger ale, oh yeah, you would know that. Oh yeah, the goat soda. Um, it's good for indigestion too. Huh. What do you know? Which is also going to make you a better runner. If you have a healthy digestive tract, you're going to be flying. Yeah, because you won't be weighed down by your by the sheer mass of fecal matter <laughs> in your intestines. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that's I, that's the I, content people came for. That right there. It, ginger powder may significantly reduce menstrual pain. Oh hell yeah. There is there's so many good things about ginger. It may lower cholesterol levels. Oh yeah. Um so here, listen, I'm not that good at science. Um, and yet you are technically a science major. I technically am. Um, I do my best. Uh, it says it may lower cholesterol levels, which, oh, only bad cholesterol. That's a great thing. Oh, there you go. Also going to make you a better runner. Mm-hmm. It may help prevent cancer, which not having cancer is really good if you want to be a good runner. <laughs> exactly. It seems like cancer is really negatively correlated with your running performance. Yeah. Not- I mean, I'm no scientist, but I do have a pair of acetate glasses, which makes me look like one. And I can tell you as a as an appearing scientist that ginger is good for cancer and cancer is bad for running. So if you want to get good at running, you got to get good at ginger. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good way to sum up the episode. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, uh- yeah, I guess thank thank you for listening to my rant about ginger and running sprints. Um, no slow running on this side. We don't do that. Uh, instead, we run as fast as we can while huffing ginger powder. And oh yeah, and we we like art and 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 contemporary art, and we like music and album covers, and we like. 
do we like i was gonna say we like drake do we like drake can we make this a pro drake podcast or should we become a drake neutral or anti-drake if we were gonna position ourselves on the drake liking spectrum we would be below neutral i think all right i i tend to agree with that just not quite lukewarm like a little bit under lukewarm yeah, Drake's not, like, a great guy. Yeah, no, he definitely, like, like groomed some girls, I think. Which is pretty... Pretty awful, fuck. yeah. But also, you know, yeah, when you get up that... to the high echelon of powerful people, they've all got something. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to be a celebrity and be a good person, it seems like. It's hard to be a person and be a good one. We all do our best. Maybe we should position ourselves as a pro, anti, or neutral celebrity podcast. Where are we on celebrities? I think we could be right about where we are with Drake. Drake is pretty, um, pretty representative, I think, of the body of work celebrities have produced in demonstrating their character. That's, I think that's fair. I think we're, we're going to be slightly less than neutral on celebrities. That being said, celebrities are fascinating and I might talk about them a lot. I will talk about them. They can get some airtime. Yeah. We'll give them a little free clout as, as a treat. Yeah. A little scrap of clout. I know they need it. Oh, suffering. A little rainbow sprinkle of clout. Oh, yeah. A little confectioner's sugar of clout. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, as some might say, a little ginger powder of clout. (laughs) Here we go. Full circle. That's the podcast, folks. Thanks for coming on. I've been Andrew Loomis. I'm Gabe Pascal. And we'll see you next episode. Adios. Uh